You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. Hey, Hoople Heads. Welcome to Something Pretty. This is a Deadwood podcast where we are going to be covering every episode in the movie from HBO's Deadwood. It's one vile fucking podcast after another. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm joined by Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I had beans for dinner, and now I've got a quarter pound, like a solid quarter pound of dip just wedged deep into my lip, and I'm ready to get into this. (laughs) I thought you were going seven layers, but instead you went old country back to... uh, Did you ever know anybody who dipped? Um, was that dying out of your time? I had a, I had a couple friends who tried it, tried to pick. They didn't wear like cowboy hats or anything like yeah. that. But it was it's a pretty it's a pretty vile ha- pretty it's vile disgusting. habit. It's so fucking gross. <laughs> um, I never knew. <clears throat> I never had any friends who did it. But uh, I was my dad played softball for a long time when I was growing up, and it was like just on the line where guys were still doing it. Yep. And so some of his friends would do it during the uh, during the softball games. It was like. Even if I didn't see someone doing it, anytime I went to the softball where they would play, there would be, you know, score cans all over oh, the yeah. ground and shit. Yeah, yeah. So it was either I was I was there for the changeover from that to bubble. Chewing, what is the chew, yes, the gum chewing tobacco <laughs> instead of it went from chewing tobacco into someone brings a giant jar of discount bubble gum. Oh, I was thinking people. the big league chew, the shredded uh chewing oh, that gum. Too. Oh my god, the best. It's, it's the best. It's so gum. good. It's so it's good. It's so good. It's like <laughs> it's so entirely soft. sugar. It's and, and preservatives to keep it that soft. It's it's loaded with uh carcinogens, I think. Maybe worse oh, than actual it. chewing tobacco. Love it. That's anyway, how I want to go. Thank you everybody for listening. If you are tuning in for the first time, you're starting at the start of this series. This is going to be a podcast as I said where we're covering all of Deadwood, HBO's uh, very influential and important Western television series that came out in 2004, ran until 2006. It spanned three seasons and 36 episodes. We're going to be talking about each and every one of them, and then we're going to talk about the post-series movie that came out in 2019, almost a decade later, 13 years later. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us as we go through this. We're going to be talking about each episode on its own. And I guess we can start, Clay, with a, a history here, which I think will feed into how we cover these things. So I'm on my mm. fourth watch of this show. Um, I watched it I watched it alone in college, <laughs> which sounds sadder <laughs> than, than I intended it to, to sound. Uh, then I watched it twice with my wife to wake up, to make up for the loneliness of that first watch. And uh, this is going to be my fourth watch. So Was she willing... Willingly watching it those two times, or that was that was what you said. It's like you need to watch this with me, so I can make up for the loneliness of when I watched it in college. <laughs> Just so I don't become a uh, a Wolcott myself, I forced her to watch with me. That'll be a reference for season two. But anyway, it's um no, she was uh, willing, and she's actually been raring to go uh, to watch this one this time. And, and we've been, we've been planning this for a couple months and she's like, are we going to start Deadwood anytime soon? Like, what is Clay doing? And I said, it's, it's happening. We're starting <laughs> soon. We watched the pilot a couple weeks ago, but we're going to start picking it back up, uh, after that. We'll, so, we'll all finally figure out why you have such a hatred of Chinese people. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's that, this is the way that you sneak that kind of podcast content onto the Apple stores. <laughs> you call it Deadwood and then just go anti-Asian. Um, so what's your history with this TV show? Well, um, I can't remember if it was recommended to me or what, 
but I I watched it. Um, this will be unlike yours. This will be you said this will be your fourth time watching mm-hmm. it through. Yeah, this will be my first time fully watching it all the way through. <clears throat> um, I watched the first. I would say maybe season and a half. And uh, way back when Netflix was just spending money, sending physical discs to your house, which in retrospect now in the future sounds like insanity. But yeah, um, sounds like eighteen seventy six. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was. It was on the uh, the 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 stagecoach delivered to my house. <laughs> Man with a mustache <clears throat> drops them off at your door. Yeah. Um, it, it was. Uh, I can't remember how if, if someone recommended to me or what, but I, I watched it through Netflix, um, and I loved it. The, I, the first season I thought was probably at the time it might still be. I'm looking forward to watching it again uh, with the best season of television I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to finishing it. Uh, I, I I love westerns. I've I've always been a a, a big fan of westerns, well to a point. Um, and yeah, it just it hits all the hits all the right notes and uh, is is a very fun watch. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. So a brief little synopsis about this. Although I, I guess at that point it's a, it's a good place as any to say how we're going to actually be covering the show before we get into it. So because Clay has not seen the entire thing, and I think that a lot of our listeners on Discord, if you're interested in uh, some of our other content, you can go to thepenskyfile.com. It has a whole bunch of other podcasts: a Star Trek, a horror show. There's a Batman the animated series show. A whole bunch of stuff is over there. We also have a Discord, and I think a lot of the listeners there are either new to the series or haven't finished it, same as you. So the way we're going to do this is that um, I'm going to do my best not to talk about the episodes that are upcoming with the caveat that it's impossible to pretend as if I haven't seen them. But the short way of saying I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna not, I'm not going to spoil things as much as I can, uh, but I might be vaguely hinting at something without without mm-hmm. trying to actively spoil it because I know people are unfamiliar and you're unfamiliar. Although I will say um, it's not really a show that can be spoiled in a lot of ways either. Mm. So well, there's that going forward. It's not a not a plot heavy show, I don't think, but we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, there's uh I you know, the one time I did watch it was geez, probably twelve years ago, maybe closer to fifteen years ago at this point. And uh but I do remember, like, th- th- more of the the bigger plot elements of it um, along the first season. Second season, no idea. But the first season made enough of an impression that I remember a lot of the, the big stuff that happened. So, yeah. Um, first season is more based in history, too, as we'll get to. They, you know, this is a show that's loosely based on history. There are characters who share the names of historical characters, sure, but they, yeah. uh, they veer quite quickly from anything that would actually happen. But the first season is, you know, at least with Bill Hickok, um, you know, it's, it's, that's why it's not even spoilers because if you know the story of Hickok, you know how things have to end for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bullock and everyone else, all star Swearingen are all real characters who exist in history. So you at least have some sense of where they are. Um, but where the show is it takes one of those, them. is it one of those things where it's like, actually the real Al Swearingen was a very nice man and he was well loved by everyone who lived <laughs> in Deadwood and the show takes a drastic, drastic left turn with his character. Now Swearingen is actually probably worse in real life than he was in the show. At least. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, or at least everything that's been historically recorded about him does not make him sound like he was a very good character. Um, eventually, the real uh, Swearingen, who is a famous, who is the owner of the gem, which actually existed in real life, 
was pulling in something like $5,000 back in the day, uh, $5,000 a day in 1876 money. Holy shit. And he apparently died penniless. So it was all, yeah, all for naught. Wow. But we'll get into it. So to do a little bit of... Um, Background on it, the show won eight Emmys. It had 28 nominations across its three seasons. TV Guide ranked it number eight on the 60 shows canceled too soon list. It made it through three seasons and was canceled, obviously. Metacritic has it at 85%, which is universal acclaim. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 95% audience score. It's the favorite TV series of critics Matt Zoller-Seats and Emily St. James, who we're going to be referencing quite frequently because... For a little bit of a prep work, I read a bunch of books on Deadwood. I read Stories of the Black Hills, which David Milch wrote about the show. It's kind of like a coffee table book about his take on everything that's happening. Uh, David Milch is the creator, producer, writer, and we'll get more into Milch as we cover things. The Deadwood Bible, which just came out, it's a Matt Zoller Seats thing. Did it on Kickstarter. Um, you can pick up a coffee if you're so interested. Goes through all the history of Deadwood, goes through all the seasons, talks to all the character, the actors, gets all the interviews. It has uh, reviews for every single episode. It has other reviews from other essay writers in it. It's worth picking up. I just finished uh, Life's Work, which is Milch's autobiography memoir that he just published a couple months ago because David Milch is probably not going to be with us for much longer, but we'll get into that. And then I did Reading Deadwood, a Western to Swear By. It's a collection of academic essays. And finally, Deadwood, The Golden Years, which is written by Watson Parker. And I read that one because Milch apparently picked that book up first when he was uh, doing research into uh, the show. The back of the book says it's the author is a wild American raconteur, which is a lie. (laughs) It's one of the worst worst books I've read in recent memory, but it is full of interesting uh, facts if you're so interested in facts. But and to balance all of that out, would you? Do? I have done nothing. I've done do. nothing. I'm, so Clay will give you. I'm going yeah. to have the role, Clay, of the annoying, well, actually, guy in this podcast. Yeah. When you when you, say I'm just you like here this. for jokes, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm here to talk about how everything's dirty. And everyone's swearing a lot. Man, can you believe how much they swear in this show? There's a lot of swearing. That's and we're certainly going to get. I guess that's a good place as any. So thank you, Clay, for bringing it up. But this is going to be a yeah. profane podcast. That's, the show is seven <laughs> seven years of working together, my friend. <laughs> the show easy is easy segues. We are going to be a profane podcast. I'm not going to bleep anything. All the words are going to be in this podcast. I apologize if you have young children and you want to listen to the show while you're tending to the kids. I was also in your boat, but I don't think it's proper to cover this show without actually saying the words that they say say because the show is beautifully written. Are you going to have have that moment where you're going to like, Alistair, I think it's about time. I need you to to join... Me and your mother in the living room <laughs> to watch this television show. Every it's about seven years. Seven years old is the time you become a man. You'll you'll understand. That's the way it worked back in 1876. You know. Have you, you ever wanted house. to see Ron Swanson's dick? Well, <laughs> who hasn't? Deadwood was created by David Milch. Are you familiar with Milch? Any of his uh, shows, Clay? Uh, I think they're all not... prior 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 our time <clears throat> as television watchers. I think. Yeah, I I don't know them. Like, like, there's not one that comes off the top of my head. But if you name them, I'm sure I'm aware of them. Hill Street Blues. It's, yes, of course. Yeah. NYPD Blue. Yes, definitely. Luck. Uh, Luck. Was that the horse racing show? Yep. It was like ten that years was like ago. 
co-produced by Michael Mann or yep. something? Yep, Mann directed it. Milch wrote it. Really? What did you see that? Was it any good? I did. The first season was good. Again, well, it was only one season. It got canceled after one, but I, I enjoyed the first season. Uh, of that one much more than the other show is John from Cincinnati is his other famous one that he did after. Oh yeah. I remember the name. I don't know anything about it. Not as good. Unfortunately, that's not the one about the guy who's like from a different. No. What am I thinking of? There was some, he's sort of otherworldly. I can't remember what he's actually from, but he's not of this earth. I think is okay. Maybe that was, is what I'm thinking of then. Yeah. I can't remember. So if you'll, uh, if you'll indulge me, I think it's hard to talk about Deadwood without talking about Milch a little bit. Um, Hill Street Blues is considered, Alan Sepinwall said that Hill Street Blues, which is the first show that he got into in television writing in 1982 or something. Uh, Sepinwall compares Hill Street Blues, which I'm totally unfamiliar with, but it's a cop procedural show. But mm-hmm. Sepinwall, uh, the critic for Rolling Stone, says that it's comparable to Casablanca in that anyone who tries to go back to it thinks it's just a cliche-ridden ripoff of things but it started the cliches basically oh interesting yeah um and then it moved into nypd blue my cultural memory of nypd blue is pretty much that it's the show that south park makes fun of just saying shit basically but it was um nypd blue has got a lot of press for adult content in an otherwise network show uh like a lot of sipowitz yeah sipowitz andy sipowitz the racist drunk as a lead character in your show on network television um did i ever watch that i don't think i ever did i no. you know what no, that's the- not true i did watch <coughs> excuse me there was one episode that i watched specifically specifically because i knew it was a big deal because they were like this is going to be more adult than anything that has ever been on broadcast television yep. like, oh yeah baby let's do it and it was like <laughs> it was like you got to show. see yeah, it was like you got to see the outline, like the the profile of a naked butt, and I was yep. like, "Oh, well, yep. that's something, I guess." It's the, the South Park episode where they're waiting for the show to say something, and the character just says, "You get a little, little, little shit on your mouth." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone goes, "Oh." Now apparently, NYPD Blue, NYPD Blue ran for like fifteen years or something yeah, absurd, it's a long but show. it was uh, it made Milch millions of dollars. Uh, made him very wildly successful and desirable. After that, he had a couple smaller shows, and then he had Deadwood in 2004. So, that was NYPD Blue was Caruso, right? He was for the first show, season, right? only the first yeah. season. Yeah, and then he left to go make Jade. To go make Jade, and, and that killed his career. Yeah, and then um, Jimmy Smits took over yep. for him mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, and then oh, there was really? that, oh, I didn't realize he, he he took over. Okay, yeah, he took over, and then he died later on. And then uh, Zach from Saved by the Bell was the final partner no shit yeah oh, wow that's a man yeah that was on for a long time that's a long time <laughs> it was in it was in the gosler renaissance is when it ended yeah so, yeah yeah wow <laughs> i'm just gonna uh if you indulge me i'll just open this up mm. with uh the start of the deadwood bible this is Zola seats what he writes about it david milch was a storyteller he, as he told it, and as the facts have often verified, he learned to bet on horses when he was five, had his first drink at eight, shot up heroin for the first time at 17, drove a car into the ocean in college, got kicked out of law school for shooting at a police cruiser with a shotgun, spent time in a Mexican jail, buried a body in the desert, took heroin and methadone and Vicodin, and any pill he thought might ease his suffering and open his mind. He was a son, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a survivor of abuse, a magnet for dogs and cats, and the owner of prize-winning racehorses that he bought with a fortune amassed making television that asked viewers to look inward and contemplate their beliefs, experiences, desires, faults, fears, weaknesses, and pain. 
He was a scholar, a teacher, a mentor, a beacon for artists, writers, directors, and actors and strangers. He gave them ideas, guidance, lessons, connections. He believed in people the way he believed in his horses. He bet on horses. He bet on sports. And most of all, he bet on people. He learned to grow. He learned to bet on their art. And he bet on happiness. He threw, uh, let's say, he bet on them... He bet on them to be gifted, skilled, and brave enough to improvise an epic multi-volume period novel for television 38 hours long and so fucking good that people would commit its lines to memory like scripture. He threw away his fortune at the track. He had everything and gave it away. Um, Is this like Hemingway or something? Milch is Milch is a really interesting character. Um, he's strange. I don't know if he's a good person, but he's <laughs> he's lived a really weird life. He... He made millions on the on TV production, and he he estimates that he lost seventy million dollars betting on horses over the course Holy of shit. his career. Uh, he now lives in assisted living facilities because he is in the late stages of Alzheimer's. Um, oh, really, he had people who's worked with him in the book. We'll get into it as we get into the show. He has a sort of strange relationship, and how he works is very unique as a television production uh, producer. If you've been following our Star Trek co- podcast. I'm probably going to compare his production style to uh, some of the Star Trek shows because I think that it's similar and different in a lot of different ways. But um, he's mostly regarded as one of the, you know, he, I, he might be underrated, but he's certainly important to the history of television. And I think that his, for just on like a personal level, I think the writing he did in Deadwood is some of the best TV writing that's ever been done. Um, he's just such a unique voice in the way that he does his characters and things like that. And we'll get more into it as we move along. So, you know, I hear it's, it's introductions and life stories like that, that make me go, well, I also am a writer and I, uh, have lived a pretty sheltered life. Most of my life. <laughs> I've never, t- I've never done heroin. I, I can't possibly no, compete. No, nope, The craziest nope, part of that is that. He- he got expelled from law school for he shot up a police cruiser with a shotgun and they expelled. Yeah. <laughs> Having a party now. One time, I guess I could compare myself to him. One time I went to the casino. Yep. I put five dollars into a uh house of cards slot machine. Yep. I tripled my money and then I put all that money back in, lost everything. <laughs> and that's that's it. Deadwood. So House I guess- of Cards indeed. What's the uh, the major thing that you think of when you think of Deadwood? If you think of anything, um, uh, honestly, I mean the the cliche answer is obviously swearing, but yes. uh, um, uh, honestly, the thing I think of most when I think of Deadwood is, um, fuck, this is I, I shouldn't have said this because I can't remember the guy's fucking name. The lead the lead character, what the hell is the actor's name? Sw- Oliphant, Timothy uh, Oliphant. Oliphant. Yeah, sure. He's yeah, the, um, Ian McShane. I guess some people would argue is he's, the main yeah, character. He's the other one, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, I never really got into Justified, and so I never really got with the what the deal was with Timothy Oliphant. But then I saw Deadwood, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like he he works in this archetype perfectly. And um, Hit- Hitman is your favorite movie of all time. So you, oh yeah, no, I've got the barcode <laughs> tattooed in the back of my head. I just have long hair, so you can't see. It. That's the movie he had to take after Deadwood was canceled, and he had bought a house that season. Oh, and geez. they're like, oh, like I guess I got to get paid for this movie. So he's he's had he's had an odd career. He has. He was the he was uh, uh, the villain in Scream Two. Yep. 
way back when yep. with uh, Laurie, Laurie Metcalf. And uh, he was in Deadwood. He was in Justified. He had a very short stint on the American office. Yep. And uh, yeah, he just kind of pops up here and there from time to time. Um, yeah. Kind of hard to pin down that one. He was one of the few actors that HBO sort of demanded to be in the show at this point. He'd really? Been, he'd been oh. on Sex in the City, I think, and HBO oh, liked him. Oh, okay. Um, he is, was not the first choice of Milch. A lot of char- a lot of the actors that actually end up on the show were not the first choice of Milch, but we'll get into that as we sort of get into it. Um, and just to leave as a little bit of teaser, Oliphant was actually early in the series on the cutting block as to be potentially replaced. Uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I I will say actually like the 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 first thing I think of really aside from the actors is the setting because it is so grimy mm. and so muddy yeah uh, <laughs> and sort of is um it it doesn't feel like a traditional western generally does um because it's a lot more wet. And uh, it actually reminds me more of like an Italian Western because mm. the uh, the Italians were kind of the first ones to to do that and and, uh, and get a little bit uh, have their westerns take place in places other than the dry hot heat. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess in my head when I think of when I think of Deadwood, the image in my head is Calamity Jane looking like shit. Stand in the middle of a busy street. <laughs> it's all a wild Bill Hickok. He got stuck in the fucking muck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Well, the um, the origins of the show are that Milch was pitching um, a story uh, that he had developed, and he was trying to get a TV show developed. He went to HBO, and he said, "My idea is to tell the story of Rome. I want to do a cop show set in ancient Rome, and the point of it is going to be." Um, the conflict between law and order and chaos, because hmm. the idea that I have is during the time of Nero, who's one of the crazy, insane tyrant emperors, uh, we're going to focus, our main characters are going to be members of basically the Praetorian Guard or like city guards around Rome who are caught in this world where they are at the whims of a madman, but they also have to kind of maintain some semblance of order in the uh, city itself. Hmm. And the focus of the show is going to be on Christianity and how Christianity was starting to spread at that point from like the sort of rebel uh, belief system into a, uh, a world-dominating religion. And the focus mm. of the show is going to be on the cross and how the cross represents that kind of like uniting of people. And they said... I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I would love to see that show. It's an interesting idea, right? And yeah. most of it crossed over. Unfortunately, he pitched it to HBO and they said, David, you're not going to believe this, but we're the only network that actually has a Rome show in development at this point. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they said, can you do this in any other setting? And he said, let me think about it. And he went back and he decided on Deadwood because he wanted to do um, the same sort of idea set in a time where it was sort of the rebirth of civilization, even though America had already been formed. Deadwood itself is set on illegal Indian territory, which is where mm. the, the, the show takes place and where the history of the town took place and everything. And it's going to be the same ideas about what does it take for a society to come together from chaos? How does that work? What are the lies that we agree upon, as they say in the show, and all that stuff. So that's where Deadwood started. And they filmed it on, I think it's called Liberty Ranch. I might be wrong about that, but it's a standing set. The town basically exists the way that it looks in the show. Oh. Um, and so it, it's filmed in a 
realistic manner, which is like the 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 hotels and the characters' homes are actually real distances from each other. So when a character is like looking out a window at the thoroughfare, characters walk walking from the place where they sort of are said to live to where they work actually exists in real space in that way. Um, sure. And as we get into it, the production of it allowed Milch to go a little bit crazy because uh, he was only four episodes. There were only four scripts written ahead of time before production, and the rest of the series was basically written uh, by the seat of his pants and written on sets, written the day of, handing oh, wow. handing actors scripts of paper that he was writing just before the camera started rolling, saying, say this. And they actually, there's an argument we'll get into it that um, the sandbox atmosphere is what allowed that to happen because you can't have a show like that if you have to actually location shoot and do things because right, logistically yeah. it doesn't work. So. so is that also why they could go back 12 years later and shoot a movie there because they didn't have to build anything? Yep, it's also there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep, it exists. Cool. It's been, that set's been used in a ton of movies, and obviously it's a, it's a very common Western set to use. Can you, like, visit it? Yep, it has, does tours and stuff. What has, So how many... Um, does Deadwood, the actual town, now have, like, a Cheers-like tourism thing? I think it where does, it's like, yes. We're going to Deadwood, and you get there, and it's like, <laughs> oh, it's not actually the show. Right. It's actually a modern town. No, they've like built the one thing to make it look like the 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 Cheers oh, bar or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Deadwood is still Deadwood itself is uh kind of became a failed city after a while. It still exists as this historical anomaly, but I think it probably does a lot of its stuff through tourism at this point. Yeah, but to um the sort of wrapping up final point is that I I think that you were right like the the cliché thing is the language. Um there's a lot of swearing in the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of insults there's a lot of colorful language and um i think that that turned a lot of people just reading like the early reviews i think it turned a lot of people off uh just because out of context it sounds like a show that is trying to be tough or something there's a uh there's a line early on that they used in the trailer that's like um Basically, just like the end result is a character just says to like go fuck yourself, and out of context, it just sounds like a show that's trying too hard to be mm. intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that was one of the reasons that people came away thinking it's just a show that swears a lot because I think there is a lot more going on than that. And we'll get into the it. The thing is, though, nobody swears like Deadwood. No, like it's poetry the way that they use profanity, and I had. I had heard somewhere, and you can confirm or deny us, I assume, some of all the reading you've done, mm. and all I, all I bring is brash speculation. <laughs> um, I had heard somewhere along the line that Deadwood was written in iambic pentameter. Some of it is, not not all of it. I think it. I think it's overrated how much of it is Shakespearean inspired. Some characters mm. definitely do speak that way. A lot of them don't, and. The show also kind of makes fun of the way that the characters talk too, so it's not it's not totally up its own ass at that point. But some of it, yeah, okay. some of it definitely is. I think Walcott, uh, who's a character in the second season, speaks that way quite frequently. Interesting. Um, Milch had two rules about dialogue. The first, uh, in the general production sense, is that Milch is the center of this universe. He would each season he would have a couple writers who would help him out with scripts and everything like that, and they would get credited for writing the scripts, but. Most of the dialogue is coming from Milch, and most of the the writing is coming from him, and he's using other people as sounding boards and idea generators. Um, he had two rules about the 
dialogue in this show. Uh, rule number one was that they had to use modern profanity. Do you have any idea, <laughs> any idea why that would be? Because uh, uh, it's not quite as intense to hear someone get really grizzled and call someone a hoozle muckle or yeah, something. Yeah, he said. He said that. He, he Milch insists that people swore just as much back then as they did in the show, but if we were to hear them, they would sound like Yosemite Sam yelling at yes. something. It would be like, what in tarnation? <laughs> and uh, he wanted to shock the audiences to actually have them say uh, modern swear words. Like the term motherfucker actually didn't exist in 1876, but it's used frequently oh, in the really? show. Oh, yeah. really? Oh. Motherfucker's from uh, the black community in World War II, I think, is where it came really? from. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's where all the best stuff comes from. So that doesn't bar- that doesn't surprise. That's me, right, jazz but- and motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> the two pinnacles of American culture. And uh, man, imagine imagine being there in the trench the first time someone first time in recorded <laughs> history someone turns around and says, "You motherfucker, <laughs> you got to shoot those motherfuckers." Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, "Who are you talking about? What, what does that mean?" Because well, motherfucker I, I is one assume, of those words that the first time you heard it, the the visceralness of it probably because because now you don't really think about what it means because you say it so often. You know what right, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like how cocksucker gets thrown around so cavalier. Yes, but like when you really break down what you're accusing that person of doing, I'm surprised people haven't you know tried to stop using that word. Yes, given that it's essentially just you know calling someone. A, a homosexual slur yeah yeah and in deadwood only men are called cocksuckers yeah it's just like i don't know i think do people just find it too much fun to say that they're not willing to give it up it is. i guess <laughs> it is it's a it's um it ties into the second the second rule that milch had is that he insisted that the dialogue have a rhythm that sort of only mm. he could define and i think that that's what you were talking about the sort of um the flow of what he says. Yeah, there are many yeah. stories of him revising earlier lines of dialogue just by changing the swear words in it and being like, nice. this is a better swear word uh, <laughs> in this context. So That's amazing. Um, that's it. Those are the rules. But it is a beautifully written show. I think in the teaser, if you guys listen to it, I, I juxtapose the, the, the vulgarity of it with the profound quotability of it at the same time. Um, Characters go in long monologues. There are really insightful things that are said. Characters are just wonderful representations of uh, themes and ideas and how they interact with each other. It is a true writer's show in the sense that uh, Milch is on record as saying that he does not care about uh, directorial flourishes to things that he makes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He insists that scenes and shows exist with the actors and the dialogue between them. Um. And it's a show that is that. It's a lot of talking. For a Western, not a lot of action. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and it, and it didn't bother me at all. Um, <clears throat> I think because some things, you know, talk, talking isn't bad if it's worth listening to. Yeah. You know? Yep. And a lot of times it's not worth listening to. Yeah, it's it's certainly, I I, I agree with him in the sense that most of the really interesting stuff happens like the the exposure of what a character is comes across through their dialogue and what they choose to talk about with each other sure it's much it's just obviously it's much easier to do than any sort of silent action that a character could take but uh deadwood is also somewhat notable 
there's very few establishing shots. You know, for for a, the mm. Western is always thought of as like out in the West in the wide open, the great blue yonder. You know, like you see mountains, you see yeah. animals. Deadwood, the show, is completely in this muck of this town. It rarely ventures outside. Like how Michael Mann's Miami Vice movie mm-hmm. features shockingly few shots of Miami. <laughs> I remember seeing that movie. I love that movie. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But like the one thing I came out thinking was like, man, there wasn't a lot of Miami in that movie. It was mostly just like close-ups and like <laughs> other stuff. But there was no like iconic Miami shots or anything. No. It's like no. you get a really great look at, at, the, at 95 South at night. But uh, not so many palm trees and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not necessary. Maybe it's not not what it's about at all. <laughs> so I guess we can close it out at that point. I'm extremely excited. Um, I love this show. I think the show is extremely good. I'm excited to go through it with you, Clay. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Yeah. Thank you for listening to me ramble. The entire show is not going to be me rambling this much, but I, I had to get all this history and backstory out of the way first. No, totally. I'm looking forward to it too. I, I had been, I had been, I, I've watched a lot of Westerns, but my kind of blind spot is ironically some of the more classic ones like the John Ford stuff, because I can't stand John Wayne. Anyone who listens to the Batman show that mm-hmm. we do, mm-hmm. uh, knows my longstanding hatred of John Wayne. <laughs> um, but I had been meaning to go back and, and watch some like Rio Bravo or, or, uh, some of the John Ford stuff. And I, I'm wondering if I should do it to kind of counter counterbalance Deadwood yep. to see where where westerns came from uh and what they turned into because there's shockingly few of them now um arguably dead genre for the most part kind of yep. capped off by unforgiven i would say uh once Clint Eastwood stopped doing them they kind of was like well i guess there's no point now but Listen, i mean <clears throat> you know the last great western was red dead redemption 2 you know, sure. Like, yeah. that, I, I'm not. Right. I'm not even really joking about it. But it, it's a, it's a genre that um, has a lot to say. I, I was also thinking about going back and rewatching some of the older westerns, mostly because uh, Milch. I don't know if he was just being obstinate or something. He refused to call this a western <laughs> to the point where there were a lot of um, funny character stories where he would come up to them and he has this uh, personality and people refer to him as like a professor where he would, he would, he would talk for like hours before people shot, shot scenes about what this all meant and like what he was thinking <laughs> and things like that. And some people really love that and some people hate it, but he was talking to the guy who plays Dan Doherty, whose name is E.W. Brown or W.E. Brown, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just saying, this isn't actually a Western, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because I can't stand all the, he, he hated apparently early Hollywood Westerns. He didn't like them. Um, oh, and he has these arguments about why he thinks that those are like not true portrayals of anything and why they are a fake idea of what the American dream was and everything like that. Oh, of course. And yes, he, and he, and he I would comes, agree with all that. And, and he comes down and he's just like, so this is not a Western. We're not shooting a Western. Please don't call this a Western. And Brown would just look at him and go, David, I'm wearing a fucking cowboy hat and boots. I've got a six shooter. This is a fucking Western. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to you debate know, that. It probably, I mean, it, it probably has more in common with something like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like Roger uh, uh, Altman's, Robert Altman's Western that mm-hmm. he made in the 70s. Um, or like it doesn't have, from my memory of it anyway, it doesn't have quite the sweeping operatic nature of like the Italian stuff. No. Um, but it does, it, it does 
take the the imagery in the iconography and and it uses it for a purpose obviously like so it's 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 difficult to n- say it's not a western when no, clearly it is it is i yeah. mean if you if you want to really get technical you can say well it's kind of like a mid northern i guess yeah or it's a neo noir western or something it's like yeah, a, a yeah. neo western i i will i'm looking forward to talking about this too because this show ironically almost lost me on the first scene of the first episode. Oh, really? Wow. Because yes. I've, I've, I've already got the first 20 minutes of our first podcast planned out around the first scene. Okay. Interesting. Because I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and talking about it because like I, well, I'll save it for that episode. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just to, to close that section down, Milch's um, main argument is that, and you can let me know if you disagree. He, he thinks that the Western was defined by that. Oh, you might know the name of this. There, there was a, famous code in Hollywood that dealt with like what was acceptable to show in movies. Oh, the Hayes code, the Hayes code. And he thinks that the Western as like the silent, strong, silent protagonist developed from that, which was a sort of like ethnic based attempt to like not upset the apple cart and allow, um, the people that were running Hollywood—it's—it's it's, but he, like the, the large, like a large group of like mostly Jewish people were running Hollywood at that point and being like the financiers of it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it, Milch's argument, Milch is Jewish, is that it was a reaction to soothe people who were getting too upset, and they implemented the Hayes Code, which went on to define everything. And he said it just distorted the Western. It turned into this strong, silent type thing. And, and in no way does that actually represent how people were interacting with each other in that era and like what they were talking about and things like that. And he thinks that a lot is mm-hmm. a lot was lost just by covering up and not having things uh, that were disturbing said by characters. And this is his retort to that, I guess. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I think the uh, the thing with the Western is it, it lends itself so immediately to like uh, myth, yeah, and arch- archetypal type stories. That I mean, because like the idea that people have in their head of the American West is a myth, yeah, essentially. Like there, there's very little truth to it. Um, and so when you when you take something and you try to break it down into more realistic terms, I think it, it it's uh. I, it definitely would have been a lot more difficult to do than than than, than it was when when Milch was doing because I mean you know you've got a lot of these a lot of these westerns are made around and after World War II and yes. so you've got the the big strong American type fighting off the invading uh, the the, Indian, eth, no, eth, the the invading ethnic minority or, yeah, or whatever yeah. And like it, it, it fits into the time period of what of what uh, was expected of the American hero, sort of. Yep. Which is why um, High Noon ended up being such a big deal, and why uh, the I think the 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 legend goes that uh, I think John Wayne wanted to punch Gary Cooper after he watched it or something, <laughs> because the the the, the, the prospect of, because it was such a complete tonal antithesis to everything that john wayne stood for yeah as the you know singular american hero and uh you know i think there was an undercurrent of people thought gary cooper was a communist or something (laughs) um it's it's really interesting the western the western occupies a very interesting space in american uh 
uh, fiction history that uh, I find very fascinating. It's, um, you know, I, I think that Milch's, you know, the argument against Milch's this is not a Western is kind of undone by the archetype stuff that they do here. And I think that Deadwood fits solidly into the Western trope of like chaos coming or order coming from chaos. Basically, mm-hmm. it's like, how do things mm-hmm. develop? And um, what what do codes mean for people? And like, where do, where does that come from? And I think that his the only thing that he's doing is that his most brazen challenge to the Western is that Deadwood is a show about a community coming together and it's not the Western trope of one man being the hero of things. Right, right. Yeah. And he's challenging that, I think. But in another sense, it's just the mm. the whole thing about just like order from chaos is a pure Western trope. And that's what Deadwood is based... The, the major theme of Deadwood is about that. Like how does... How does a society form itself and what does it mean with the stories that they tell each other? What does it mean with language, how they talk to each other, relationships, like institutions like the church and marriage? Like where does it all come from? And that's what Deadwood is about. Cool. Let's do it. So we're done. Thank you for listening to our introduction. We'll be back with the first episode, which is just called Deadwood. And it's directed by Walter Hill. No shit. Oh, that's right. I vaguely remember that actually. Yeah. Signs on for the one episode and is not seen from or heard of from again. And the show takes a very different look after the, the first episode. Um, Hill was apparently upset uh, with the Milch's tendency to cut away di- uh, directorial flourishes with the camera. It mm. annoyed him. So we'll see. But that's it. Deadwood, the pilot, is the first episode that we are going to be covering. It's called Deadwood. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this stuff and you want to listen to more, you can listen to more. And also, if you're uh, retroactively going back and listening to this, maybe support the show at Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Penske File is the best way to support this. You can listen to all the other shows at thepenskefile.com. We have the YouTube uh, channel as well. This is the horror show that Clay and Amanda do. Clay and Sean do the badass animated uh, Batman show podcast. We have the Star Trek podcast that's been going forever. And now on to Deadwood. So, Clay, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this introduction? Uh, no. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's been a minute since I've watched any Western, frankly. Mm. So We covered uh, Tombstone yeah. on Patreon, I think, is our last, true. our last thing. Powers when Booth. When was that? Oh, Powers Booth. Oh, man. It, like, it's... When Powers Booth shows up in Deadwood, it's like... It's like, remember when you're playing, it's like you're playing Street Fighter and one person chooses Ken and he's got like the, the red gi on and then the person you're playing with also chooses Ken and he's got the blue gi on Yep. and it's all the same moves, but it's just so satisfying to watch when it's it him and Swearingen going up against each other. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very excited. So thanks again, Clay, for joining me for this. Yeah. Thank you. And we will be back guys with the first episode of Deadwood called Deadwood. See ya.